If you like to go to the movies, these are wonderful days to go to the movies. That is, if you can get a ticket, because it seems like everybody's going to the movies these days, right? Maybe it's an attempt to get away from the constant news cycle. Maybe it's an attempt to emotionally detach from the challenges that we might be facing. But anyway, many people are flocking to the movies, and this is the season every year, the beginning of the year, that tends to have lots of energy in regard to movies, which is the best movie, who's the best actor. The energy emerged last week with the Golden Globe Awards from the Hollywood Foreign Press. The Oscars considered the uh, highest award for film are happening in a few weeks, so these days are full of discussion and energy. And guess what? There are many movies worthy of our attention. One of the movies in contention for best picture and best act- actor is the movie entitled Jackie. It's about the former first lady, Jackie Kennedy, and the movie actually zooms in on just several critical weeks of Jackie's life, the assassination of her husband, the president, John F. Kennedy, and the decisions and the actions that immediately flowed from that horrific event in November 1963. One of the most interesting pieces of the movie Jackie involves her conversations with a priest. History confirms that Jackie Kennedy, through letters and conversations had an important relationship with a young priest in Ireland, Father Leonard. So the movie includes the spiritual conversations as a key piece of the story in these crucial weeks surrounding Kennedy's assassination. Jackie and the priest are walking down a road and talking, just the two of them. We can only imagine the darkness surrounding Uh, Jackie, the trauma she has experienced, riding in the car in Dallas, having her husband shot in the head, racing to the hospital with her husband slumped in her lap, and everything that followed, including going back to Washington to tell her children what had happened. Jackie turns to the priest and says, I think God is cruel. The priest responds, now you're getting into trouble. Jackie asks if God were everywhere. Jackie asks if God cares. Was God in the bullet that killed my husband? The priest responds, absolutely. She keeps probing, and is God in me now? The priest responds, of course he is. And Jackie snaps back. Well, that's a funny game. God hiding all the time. Her words, her demeanor reflect the honest pain, the deep anguish and loss, the forsakenness that can come to all of us in life. Why do horrible things happen? Why doesn't God intervene in more helpful ways and more visible ways? These questions have often been right on our lips about our personal lives, about our loved ones. 
about our circumstances, about our times. We all have our questions. We have our doubts. We have our heartache. Why do these things happen? Where is God? And when is it going to be made right? Fortunately, these questions are not just on our lips and in our hearts. In certain moments, they are parts of Scripture over and over in the Bible. All through the ages, people have asked these questions, and God's people are no different from other people. We suffer, we doubt, we question, we wonder. Today's passage comes from Isaiah 49. Isaiah is in the middle of the Bible. Isaiah the prophet appears in the middle of this whole book. By this time in the story, right in the middle, God's people had become quite discouraged and times were quite dark. God and God's people had been evolving together for about 1,500 years. The first half of the Bible and lots of things had happened. In the first half of the Bible, God had established a covenant with the people. And God had guided them through various stages and changes. And God had placed them in the promised land. And God had given them a king. And God had given them a temple, a place to worship. And God had taken care of them through the ups and downs of 1,500 years of history. But by 1,500 years into this biblical history, and right when Isaiah comes on the scene, the people were wandering away again from God. By the middle of the Bible, God's chosen kings had become particularly and increasingly selfish and ineffective. By the middle of the Bible... In the time of Isaiah, worship and faithful life around the temple reflected less and less faith and more and more sloth. So had God's ideas of justice, they had fallen away. God's ideas of hope for the people had dissipated. And you might recall around the middle of the 6th century B.C., the Babylonians came and conquered Israel. They destroyed the temple, they sacked the city, they took the king and the leaders away to Babylon from the promised land. The so-called chosen people had now become the dejected people. And the so-called children of God were very, feeling very forsaken. So imagine the comments and the questions on their lips. I think God is cruel. Is God anywhere around? Well, that's a funny game. God hiding all the time. Can we trust God? Can we really trust God? That might well be the question on our minds and in our hearts this day. Is God real? Does God care? Is God attentive to where I am, to where we are, to where the world is these days? Lots going on. Here's what Isaiah 49 says. and speaks to our hearts and it speaks to our world. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. 
He made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, Who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel and to restore the survivors of Jacob. I will give you as a light to the nations and my salvation shall reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. On a day of salvation I have helped you. I have kept you and given you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the ways and all the bare heights. All the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them down. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. And I will turn all my mountains into a road and my highways shall be raised. Lo, these shall come from far away and lo, these shall come from north and from the west and these from the land of Sain. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on his suffering ones. This is the word of the Lord. Isaiah speaks strongly and directly to people who are wavering, to people who are wondering, is God real? Funny game we're playing. Isaiah is speaking strongly and directly to people who are wondering, where is God? Listen up, O peoples. Pay attention, folks. Isaiah reminds us that God was there before we were born. Isaiah reminds us that God does not leave us alone, nor does God leave us on our own. Isaiah reminds us that God is the one to whom we belong. Isaiah remind us that our lives are about living with God and serving God. You know, it happens almost automatically. Happens almost instantaneously. When life comes crashing down, when the barriers seem so great and the burdens so oppressive, when the issues attack our hearts and threaten us and community, our vision becomes so myopic, it happens almost automatically. The only thing we can see is that which is right in front of us, and it's the pain, and it's the anguish, and it's the loss, and it's the discouragement. 
Isaiah, speaking for God, says, you got to raise your gaze. Look up, people. Widen your perspective. Broaden your vista. Listen, look, you coastlands, all you peoples, broaden our perspective and widen the view. God has been here since the beginning of time, and what we're dealing with and what we're worrying about might be real, and it might be very painful, but the all things are seen in a broader context and the magnificent sweep of God who knew us before we were born and who carries us all the way to eternity. I'm your God. You're my people. That never changes. Look up, peoples. Look up, folks. We keep our eyes on God no matter what we're dealing with. This applies to our personal lives. This is applies to our seemingly unbearable pains and aches. This applies to us as we think about our nation and transition. Look up, O oh peoples. It applies to all of us. We belong to God. Isaiah reminds us our cause is with God. Our reward is God. That's verse 4. Our cause is God. Our reward is God. There it is. You can see from the bulletin that our word for the week is light. I really love how the word light works in this passage it's used in two very different ways isaiah says listen up pay attention god's at work we can't always see and understand it but god's at work broaden your perspective widen your sweep heartache loss pain it's always seen in god is god's context and we have to raise our gaze and recognize god's presence and god's promises and god's purposes everywhere and then god says it's too light a thing. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations. It's too light a thing. Some of you perhaps know the name of Jim Collins. He's a business writer and a leadership writer, and his most famous book is called Good to Great. It's a book written for business and leadership, but Collins' main point is very thought-provoking. Good is the enemy of great. We usually think that good, as in a good company, or in a good person, or in a good idea, is on the way to being great. That's how we think. We even assume that good can usually become great if we add a little more effort or add a little more ingenuity or add a little something to it, it can become great. Collins turns all this upside down. Collins' writings and efforts say good is the enemy of great. When we get to the level of good, it's easy to be satisfied. When we get to the level of good, the drive to be great often falls away. So he says good is the enemy of great. This is similar to what Isaiah is speaking about and urging us. Look up, folks. Pay attention. God is real, and God is at work, but it's too light a thing just to think in good ways. It's too light a thing to think in limited ways, as if it just applies to our lives. It's too light a thing just to state the promise and claim the comfort of God. It's too light a thing. The message of God's boundless love and abiding promises cover us, but it's way more than that. God's not hiding. 
God's not far off. God is not absent from our hurts or our deepest concerns. God's light covers us, pours over us, and it's too light a thing just to claim it or live under it with your club and with your family. Rather, Isaiah pushes us far beyond that. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. It's too light a thing just to receive the light or to be covered with light. We cannot be light Christians. We're called to be light. We cannot just be good with the news of God's presence and care. We have to be the light. In other words, be great in God's light, pointing to God's light, working for God's light always. The wonderful gospel of John reminds us the light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome the light, and we're called to bear the light, share the light, be the light, not just a little bit or not just when we feel like it, not just when around people that we know and love, but to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. And then we have that great lesson from John 9 today, the inquisition about the blind man. Hey, Jesus. Is he blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? And Jesus says, neither. You got it all wrong. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed through him. God's works are meant to be revealed through all of us in our everyday lives. It's too light a thing that we simply live. It's too light a thing that we simply go through our days and come to church and greet one another and do a little good here and a little good there. It's too light a thing. It's too light a thing that we simply be God's good people, known and held by God. It's too light a thing that we just receive comfort and care, and especially when we're feeling bleak and covered with darkness. We're called to be the light, be the light to the nations called to say to the prisoners and in the darkness, come on out. We're reminded that God's light covers us absolutely, and it's meant to make us conveyors and purveyors of love and light in every aspect of our lives. And sometimes, sometimes this calling to be love and light is exactly what will get us out of our own darkness. We lift our gaze, we broaden our vision of God's grace and presence and promises all around us, and it's too light a thing just to receive it when we get going, really going as people of light when we serve, even from our darkness and our anguish and our pain, striving to be instruments of light to the ends of the earth, then we'll find our way toward light and toward the light covering the world. See, the goal is God's light covering us, but also God's light covering the whole world. That's the goal. This weekend, we celebrate the wonderful work of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his memory, and King reminds us poetically, darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. Toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction, King says. The chain reaction of evil, hate begetting hate, ugliness begetting ugliness must be broken or we shall be plunged into the dark abyss of annihilation. 
We have to be people of grace and kindness in all of our dealings and especially in a culture that seems more and more averse to grace and kindness. We're to be people of fortitude and faith in our approach to the world. And we have to be people of integrity and character, especially in a culture where these things seem to be falling away. We have to be people of hope and justice and good works, not for ourselves, but for God and for the world. Sing for joy, O peoples, for the Lord has comforted his people. Sing for joy, O people, the Lord will have compassion on his suffering ones. Friends, we got work to do, especially in these days. It's too light a thing just to know about God's light and receive it. We're to be people of light. God says, I give you as a light to the nations that my salvation shall reach to the ends of the earth. May Christ's light cover us, guide us, cover the world. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is darkness, we seek to be light. Following Jesus. Amen.